You may be seated. I'm half tempted to take advantage of these chairs and sit like a rabbi. But this morning I'd ask if you would open your copy of the scriptures and join me in Isaiah chapter 53. I'm thankful that we were able to hear from this passage as Ruth read us in it, uh, from it. And I want to touch on what portion that she read and also add to it verses 9 through 12, or 10 through 12. So I'm not going to reread it, uh, verses 4 through 9 anyway, but I want to show us as we look to communion this morning, what we are doing here is a reflection of what God began back in the garden And certainly in the book of Isaiah, it was a time in Israel's history where they were hearing bad news as the prophet was speaking to them of their sin and judgment was coming, a judgment that could not be avoided. And yet this judgment would be so severe, they would believe that God had forsaken them for all time. And the prophet wants to make it very clear to them that that is not the case. And so as we look at chapter 53... I want to read verses 10 through 12. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by His knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now, as we look at this passage, verses 1 through 6 come to us as the eyewitnesses. And and we see it through their eyes. People who have come to understand the meaning of the servant's sufferings. And they are now announcing it to the world. So if you look back at verses 1 through 6, we see that uh, who has believed what he has heard from us. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root Out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. What we're seeing here in verses 1 through 6 of Isaiah 53 is what these witnesses, these eyewitnesses, are announcing to the world. It's through their witness that those who had formerly had not heard of the Savior's death would would see it and come to understand it. They testify to a completely new understanding of this servant and his death. It was God, ultimately, who struck him, yes, who crushed him, but it was not because the servant deserved it. It wasn't a righteous judgment that God placed on the suffering servant. The original Hebrew is very emphatic in verse 4, which Ruth read, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried 
our sorrows. It's clear from the context that it's not sickness that took this sufferer servant. It wasn't disease. It wasn't old age. But these sufferings were inflicted upon him by God himself, and they culminated in his death. And these witnesses realized that they themselves deserved those sufferings, that he actually took blows meant for them, took wrath meant for them. So this idea of substitution is not new for the Jewish audience. They had sacrifices, and as soon as God gave the law at Mount Sinai, they began the practice of offering animals up as a sacrifice. That, that perfect lamb without blemish, that, that cow, that bull, that ram, that goat, they were offered up because those animals would take the wrath that those sinners deserved. It would cost them their lives. But now the witnesses see that this same principle is at work in the suffering and death of the servant. Their peace with God, the fact that God is healing this broken relationship with him, was secured by the servant's death. Look at verse 5. We see it right there. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. Church, this is God's gift to you and I. This is no small thing that we are participating, that we are seeing lived out in the word and in communion this morning. As you look at verse 9, the psalmist or the, the writer goes on, Isaiah goes on to say that we were like sheep that had gone astray, but the servant was like a lamb that had been slaughtered in our place. Verse 7. Yet this stanza in verses 7 through 9, it kind of repeats the refrain of, of the previous one, verses uh, 4 through 6. That this one suffered and that he died for us. And yet this ends a little bit differently because it seems that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. And it was by oppression and judgment that he was taken away, verse 8 tells us. He's eliminated from the face of the earth. He's cut off out of the land of the living. They made his grave with the wicked, verse 9 tells us, and with a rich man in his death, which is a foretelling of, of Jesus getting buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So here's a righteous man who dies for sinners. And it almost seems as we come to the end of verse 9 that this was, that God really didn't care that this happened. He'd been killed and treated like a criminal. There's a mixture of dishonor in his burial as well as honor. It's hard to know, is God satisfied with this one or not? Until we come to verses 10 through 12, and they provide the answer for us. They show us that the Lord indeed, it was his will to crush him, to put him to grief. But God did it in order that there would be an offspring that would come from this suffering servant. The servant's death will not be the end of his work. God will place his seal of approval on him. And how does God do this? By raising this one who was killed. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. How can a dead person see? 
How can a dead person be satisfied? How can a dead person receive a division of the spoils and a portion in verse 12? Because God intended to raise this servant in order to produce an everlasting righteousness for you and I. A promise of eternal life. Like a guilt offering, the servant's death provided perfect satisfaction for sin. But unlike a normal guilt offering, no lamb prior to this one was ever raised. There was no goat that was given a second life. There was no bull that was, whose body was dismembered and burnt as an offering that was restored. Only this suffering servant was raised. And that is the reason that God will give us eternal life. Because he lived again. He would be satisfied to see the fruit of his sacrifice. That's the justification of sinners. The fact that Christ is looking even now upon us today. In this moment. And he is recognizing each and every one in this room who belong to him. And he is saying, I did that. They're saved because of my righteousness. I am working in you for the glory of the Father. Afterwards, we see that this servant will accomplish his God-given mission not only by his death, but also by his life beyond it. He will be a new kind of a guilt offering that will surpass anything that has led to this prior. He is the means of great celebration By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, verse 11 said. He shall not only bear their iniquities, but then he shall also rejoice. And we just sang that in the communion hymn. That there is coming a day when he will set a table for us. And Christ himself will serve us like he did his disciples in that last supper. And we will share a meal with him. And there will be unbroken fellowship with Christ. Can you imagine that? Church never ends in heaven. Amen? I know it's hard, kids. God is going to sanctify your desires. And let's just not add kids to that. It's for all of us, right? How, like, harping all the time, is it's just going to get old? No, this is going to be unbroken, unparalleled fellowship. And we will forever be with the Lord. So as we come to the Lord's table, this is what we're celebrating. Everything that we've heard, prayed, sung, what was read, and what we've just seen here in Isaiah 53 it points to the Lord's table where one was given for many. And because of his righteousness, we have been made whole. And he lives. Writer of Hebrews tells us that he is making intercession for us. This is our Christ. And so as we come to the table, we recognize that Christ took the wrath, the judgment that we rightly deserved. And so he intended the Lord's table to be celebrated in local churches by believers who have placed their faith in the death, resurrection, and return of Jesus Christ. It's in our statement of faith. We read it together as a congregation. And so I'm going to ask if the men would come this morning and we will share in this table. And let me lay out some ground rules for us. If you're visiting with us, we thank you for being here. 
And if you are not a member of South Canyon, but you are a Christian, you believe in that Christ has atoned for your sins in his life, in his death, his resurrection, and that he is coming again to gather his church. You believe these things. You are in good standing with a like-minded church where you're hearing the same kind of gospel preached there that we preach here. Then we invite you to join us in this celebration. However, this invitation is offered with a warning. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that means you actually don't believe the things that are being portrayed here. You have not asked Christ to save you. You are not walking with the Lord. And yet you participate in this. They, that those who do so will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. And so he urges us to examine ourselves and then eat and drink of this cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And I think part of what Paul means here is that this is, it's just crackers and juice. But what it symbolizes is to be shared by those who recognize its spiritual realities. The truths that these symbols demonstrate. Those who are Christians. And so what do you do if you're not a Christian and you're here in this moment? Again, thank you for coming. And as, these, as the bread and the cup are being passed out, we just ask you to just pass that by. No one's going to look at you and think poorly of you. In fact, they will appreciate your respect for this Christian ordinance. And so let's take a moment to confess our sins to God and to prepare our hearts to receive the bread and the cup. Father in heaven, through the law and the prophets and the testimony of your own Son, you have revealed to us our grievous and many sins. And we thank you that you've given us the power to cry out to you for forgiveness and life eternal. We confess that we have placed our faith in your promise to forgive all who trust in the work of Christ. His finished work on that cross and his victorious resurrection. He ensures our righteousness. And so we thank you for saving us, and we thank you for forgiving us. And as we receive this bread and this cup, we do so in obedience to you, and we do so with a longing for that day when we will share this with you, and our faith will be finally made sight. We ask this in the good and glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As the bread is being distributed, we encourage you to silently consider your need of Christ. And then after a few moments, you can go ahead and eat the bread individually as a sign of your individual discipleship to Christ.
Paul in teaching the church in Corinth on what the table looks like and how it should be observed not only spoke about the bread on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took the bread and when he'd given thanks, he had broken it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But he also did the same in the cup. And he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So there isn't a grace that we are receiving There is a recollection that we are pondering. What we're doing here is a means for us to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And so, as the cup is being passed out, we're going to ask for you to wait until everyone has received the cup, and then we will drink it together as a sign of our corporate discipleship to Christ.
And so we take this moment as we were instructed, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink together. What we are experiencing today and what we are sharing together in communion is the result of God's great salvation. This is a reminder of that great salvation. And then as we are about to hear from our Tanzanian team, which I'll ask you guys and ladies to come up at this time, the fact that we are hearing from people who were sent overseas and who worked for the gospel also flows from this table. You realize that? I mean, the fact that God saved sinners and then God takes those sinners and he sends them out to take his gospel to the nations, this all flows from the cross. And so I think we have a a natural uh, progression here. God initiated. He filled. He saved. He has transformed us through his love. And then he's called forth our joyful and willing obedience. And what has he called us to do? It's to share the gospel uh, with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And what we are about to witness and hear this morning from those that are on the platform is how this truth is being lived out. Uh, A blood-bought, redeemed people who are eager to obey the one who saved them and who are going and telling is just one of the ways in which we do this. Uh, this obedience to the gospel. It's by sending and it's by going. Now, where's the context for this? Well, if you, if you were to look at Acts chapter 11 and verses 1 through 18, Peter returns to the, the church in Jerusalem to give a report on his going to the Gentiles. And then later in Acts chapter 13, we see that a church sent out Paul, Silas, and other missionaries in the first four verses of Acts 13. And when Paul and those brothers returned, hear what they said, what's written for us in Acts chapter 14 and verse 27. They returned, and when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And so what we're doing here today is simply reporting to the church the great things that God has done. And this is a a partnership here. It's not just these people, it's this church. And so I'm going to do something that is not intended to embarrass. Hopefully it shows the partnership point that I'm trying to make. If you gave money or supplies to the Tanzanian team, would you stand up, please? And if you had all prayed through this prayer card at all or on your own for the team that went to Tanzania, would you also stand You see this? This is a corporate effort. Praise the Lord for that. I think we just thank God for that. And without all of you, they could not go. And so there's this, there's ascending and there's a going. And neither is greater than the other. We need both aspects. And so thank you for that participation. So I've asked them to come up. And I'm going to give you a little rundown on what we're going to do. Um, I've asked each of them to answer two questions. And I am going to be 
uh, really, really tight on the watch, on the clock, okay? Some of us will be able to do that really well. Others of us are going to struggle with that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. No names will be shared. You see, what happens on a mission trip stays on a mission trip. And so, um, so I've asked them to describe the role that they played and then how that impacted those they served and how it impacted themselves. That's the two questions. Hopefully, we'll have enough time to answer some questions. In the background, you're going to see some pictures and, and, and some video, although there won't be audio. So up in the sound booth, no audio up there. Um, and this is a summary. It's just some examples of what we were able to do. We went uh, the first sun. We arrived on a Saturday night. We went to a church up in the mountains on a Sunday morning. So you'll see some of those pictures. Uh, then the teaching began on Monday for Ken and I who taught. Uh, the medical team went out, gathered supplies, did some networking with local doctors and hospitals, and then got recruited to speak at a, at a, at a school to hundreds of students. You'll hear a little bit about that. And uh, then we rinsed and repeated day after day, and the medical clinic began. And so um, you're going to see these pictures. Uh, we're not going to narrate them, but uh, hopefully that will prompt some questions. And so at this time, I'm moving up here. Everybody got a mic? Okay. And I will just coach you. Uh, is that on, Enrica? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Just hold it up close like this so that they will hear. Whomever is going to start. Okay. We are going to go one at a time. And so I'm going to start with Mr. Ken Schaefer. Oh, dear. If you would uh, lead us off <laughs> with a greeting from Tanzania. Oh. <laughs> what time is it? Okay, we're still there. Habare za asubuhi, which means good morning. And I will also say, um, kaka zangu nadada zangu katika Christo, which means my brothers and sisters in Christ in Swahili. Uh, since I'm starting this off, I was, um, uh, as Pastor James already said, uh, we were there in a teaching capacity. But let me start off by kind of re- reiterating some things, and I'll keep it short. I'm timing you. I'll try. Um, I just want to thank you all for your support. Prayers, um, financial, everything. Uh, it was not lost on us. It was very evident with us. And part of how we would greet the people there, how a part of how we would introduce ourselves is we would say who we are, where we came from, and then we would say we bring greetings from our family, and we would mention our family members because tribal identity, village identity, is very important to um, to this people group, these people groups that were represented there. And Pastor James made a point of saying that he represents and we represent South Canyon Baptist Church and that we bring greetings from the church. You were mentioned in our greetings We brought greetings, and also that we brought uh, things for you, like the the toothbrushes and the toothpaste. And one of the bishops there made a point of standing up and saying that these gifts, the books, the toothbrushes, those kind of things may seem small to us, but it's huge to them. And so they appreciated that our church, that you all, that we all uh, are in this together, and gave and provided for them, and the significance is not lost on them, and they appreciated that. 
Uh, so that's my intro to that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, we, we taught, and one of the takeaways, and we taught every day, and, um, and we learned some things about the people groups there, things that they understood or misunderstood. Um, we were teaching Old Testament survey, and specifically uh, from the book of Genesis, and one of the things that many of the people there thought, which we may think is ridiculous, but many of the people there thought that the serpent, um, in, you know, the devil in the form of the serpent, actually had sex with Eve, and that's where Cain came from. And the leader of the group would say, now that may sound ridiculous to us, but to them who believe in animism and demonology and all these things, it made perfect sense that, sorry, Mm. It, it made perfect sense that Satan would actually impregnate Eve and she would give birth to Cain. The personal thing that I'm taking away is that uh, I am amazed and overwhelmed that God can use me to reach uh, and to teach his word. Uh, it is a very humbling experience to teach the word of God to these men and these women that were over there. Um, a very humbling experience to know that God can use even me um, to use his word to reach these people. And so uh, for that, I thank you for making it possible for us to do that. Yeah, amen, brother. Enrico, would you mind, we'll, we'll keep that mic down here. Would you mind sharing what your role was? Yes. Um, my role was, uh, I would say, the clinic manager. I'm not medical inclined whatsoever. Um, my job was to try to get the people from the teaching hall to the clinic, which revealed uh, very hard, um, revealed to be a very hard, hard job to do. It took us, me and another guy, to actually get all the people in the clinic at the right time. They would sit down, they will not be happy, and they would just walk away, and you'd be like, no, 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 come back here, come back here, come back here. So that was my job, and then uh, I worked as a discharge nurse, too, when Ruth was not available, which was amazing because I did not know that I had it in me. Uh, so that's about it. Okay. Um, what impacted impacted people, uh, they would look at me, they were like, oh, no, 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 this is the older mama. She's like, no, no, they want me, they want me to do the thing. No. And then uh, impacted me because, I mean, I definitely um, was reminded that God can use anybody just as long as you say, I'm going. Amen. So. Amen. Ruth, how about you? Well, first I want to thank everyone who helped come out and uh, help me pack all that stuff up because we had to get it in suitcases, and that was a chore. Yes. So thank you for who all of you. You know who you are. Um, Could not have done this trip without your prayers um, and your help. Um, I played several roles, uh, so I'll try to keep it as succinct as possible. I played logistics coordinator, just getting the trip rolling, communicating between us at South Canyon, Jamin with TTI, David over in Tanzania, to just, you know, just beginning setup of what we would need and that kind of thing. And the other reason we were there uh, was to assess what a clinic like we ran would be like there. Would it work? Uh, Would it not work? What worked well? What might could be improved next time? So... I still have on my to-do list to write up my little report on that, uh, but it was pretty amazing uh, to be able to do what we did. Um, I played clinic nurse, um, where we got. I actually was able to see people, and a lot of times it's simple things that teach in simple stretches 
would help their quality of life. Other times we had some really sick people that we had to send on to the mission hospital up the road, which we had been able to communicate with the Monday we got there, which was great. They were very gracious and receptive of us. Um, I did get sick while I was there. I had to be out two days. That's what Enrica was talking about. Uh, when I got back, they had Enrica was doing such a good job, and Sam, and they had been able to get um, a, a Tanzanian nurse named Ives to come in and help, and she was amazing. She's the one that's showing right there in the white coat. Um, so by the time I got back, I kind of wasn't needed. I was kind of in the way, uh, which was okay because I was still coughing. I did not have a voice, um, so I took a back seat and just worked on the logistics of things and um, data gathering. Um, I also was able to teach. Um, Brett and I got a surprise the first day we were there. We found out the next day we were going to go teach at a high school, of all things, sex education. Because <laughs> apparently they don't do that. Their parents don't teach their children anything like that. And so we're just looking at each other going, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? So we spent the evening before just hashing out how we wanted to approach things because as Christians, we wanted to approach it a certain way. So we split the boys and the girls up and I took the girls and taught them basic anatomy and puberty and things like that. And, um, it was pretty amazing. Um, I found out in some questions that the girls asked that they might not have access to feminine products. So I was able to leave a, what I did not have pass out to the women at the conference. I was able to leave a suitcase with David to get to the teacher uh, that I had talked to about that. And um, hopefully that will help some of those girls out. I was also able to teach uh, the Wednesday uh, night before we left, I still did not have a voice. I was speaking like Mighty Mouse and um, wasn't sure how I was going to pull that off, but was trusting God like the little boy with the loaves and the fishes, that he would take my little Mighty Mouse voice and make it be heard. Um, and it, it was very humbling in a lot of ways. Uh, God has been stretching me to rely on him in the moment to know what to say. Those of you who know me well know I like to prepare. I don't like to wait till the last minute for things. And God's been pushing me in that regard, and this was no exception. Um, but I also found out midday, as I was going across to the seminary hall, that there were ladies that had come in for clinic that morning who heard I was going to be speaking and decided to wait all day just to hear me. That was hugely humbling because I'm not that great. And I was just speaking on UTI prevention. But for them, it was very important to them that American lady had come to them to speak. And so that's, they waited all day. And so for me, this trip was amazing to see the joy of in the uh, Tanzanian people. Um, they're just, everything's so simple, but they're so joyful and just hugely humbling to how God can use us. As Enrica said, he can use us. All we have to do is go. And it's pretty amazing. We went to minister, but we got ministered too. Amen. Amen. All right, Brett, I'm going to let you uh, take it next. Dr. Morning, church. Uh, so I was the physician of the team, uh, and we went over there, not really knowing what we were going to see. Uh, I've been to Africa multiple times before, but mainly in West Africa. 
uh, Guinea-Bissau, Guinea-Conakry, Sierra Leone, but this was one of my first times with uh, a missions group since I'd been with the military on all the other ones and kind of had, really we were going over there with no supplies except what Ruth and I brought in our backpack or, uh, or suitcases and uh, we were told that we could buy whatever we needed when we got there. So uh, it was a, a little uh, definitely different than what I do and when I practice as an emergency medicine physician here in the United States. Uh, didn't have any laboratory work, didn't have any x-rays, CAT scans, MRIs, and uh, really just had history and physical. And many times we were dealing with, well, almost every person had never, ever seen a doctor before, especially a, West, a Western doctor. Um, and many had only seen their village, either witch doctor or some doctor or nurse who had been, been trained over there. So it was very interesting. Uh, but yet, uh, for me, it was a blessing just due to the fact that... Um, and I don't say this in a bad way, uh, dealing with many Americans with all their medical problems, gets, it, 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 it weighs on you. Uh, we're a very entitled country with very entitled people that think that life should be without pain. It should just be a, 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 a blessing every day, and we should just have uh, uh, a body that works perfectly every day. And when you leave the United States and you go and take care of people in many times in the Middle East or Africa or South America actually people have a much better view on how life really is, that life is full of pain. Life is, you know, uh, life is uh, full of problems. Life is full of sorrows. And many times we get this abnormal idea of what life should be when we have everything at our disposal. Uh, we were dealing with people that had nothing. Monetarily, they had nothing. Our poor were rich to them, but yet every day they were joyful and though many had medical problems, they never complained about them. And it's really a joy to take care of people like that. That truly, when they do get that 15 minutes to see you, they're just happy. They're happy when you can explain to them that their knees hurt because it's arthritis. That, you know, uh, that their, their back hurts because it's arthritis. Or that stomach pain that they've got is because all they do is eat corn and beans and the little minnows that they call, you know, their their meal. But yet when they eat large amounts of those every day, they get heartburn. So to them, they don't really know what it is. But when you can explain to them that they're, there's nothing serious, it's just heartburn. And you can give them something that to them is amazing. To us is something you buy over the counter. They're just very grateful. And that, that's humbling. And it really refreshed my spirit from taking care of people that were just so thankful for just something little. Uh, when you would give them out a Motrin or a Tylenol, they would just be so thankful and shaking your hand and saying, you know, God bless you. Uh, you know, and they, and they really respected what the whole team did from everything from the, uh, the people that went over and taught theology to those people that, that worked in the clinic. So um, every time I get a chance to serve outside the United States, it really is a blessing. And it refreshes my spirit, not only spiritually, but medically. Sam, as the youngest person on our team, this is Brett and Enrica's daughter. In case you don't know, that's Brett and that's Enrica. Um, she was the, well, Sam was really unique and a blessing and brought a lot of humor, not only to our team, but to the Africans. And Brother David, if you are watching, he's going to try to log in to watch this today. You can say hi to him and who's ever with him. But what did you do? And, and what an impact did that have on the people that you were 
serving and yourself? So I was also part of the clinic with mom and Ruth. My main job was taking people's vitals when they came into the clinic. Mom would send them in. She would set up my charts, and then I would go get them. I would take their vitals, um, height and weight. Then they would sit there for a period of time, and I would just try to keep the flow going, as in sending people into the room, grabbing charts when they came out, handing them to Mom or Ruth so they could prescribe um, medications, or Ive, which was our Tanzanian nurse as well. She was a great help. And just trying to keep that flow going and keeping vitals. I would say I was impacted the most because I wasn't sure if I was supposed to go on this trip. Um, Just being young and going with a bunch of adults, it was kind of offered to me. But I still wasn't sure if I was supposed to go, and I just really wanted to go. I didn't know it was pushing me, but then I got there, and I just gained strong connections with the ladies specifically that were helping us there, and everyone was so joyful. It really just impacted my relationship just because they had so little um with the lord and things like that it was a true blessing just to see their faith their faith is through the roof with just worship worship was a huge thing that just really um guided me through that how they're so joyful to worship the lord um that was really impactful and they were just super grateful i think we impacted them just by gaining giving them knowledge such as ruth preaching or, like, um, teaching, thank you, teaching to the ladies. <laughs> yeah, I'm not preaching. But uh, just teaching the girls at the school or those women that waited all day just for that uh, talk. Or when Dad was just teaching about heartburn or any of the small stretches they could do that they didn't know, that really blessed them. And they were so grateful for ibuprofen and Tylenol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something that we think is we can just go and buy they were super grateful for ibuprofen and tylenol yeah. Amen. thank you sam wanted to pet the hyena at the zoo next to the hotel that was something i will never forget she was trying to coax it over this wild animal and try to scratch its nose but she was also the source of much entertainment for all the young people and in fact there was a little bartering going on i wasn't sure if she was going to be going back with us or not because how many cows did you get offered? It was, it was up to 10 cows that Brett and Enrica were offered for Sam. So. But, I, but I wouldn't accept any more than 10 cows, 4 goats, and 4 chickens. So. Yes. There's a line, line, clear line. So what I'd like to do is have some questions from y'all for them. And so I'm going to ask, I see Jason Wade over here. Do you mind running a mic for me, brother, coming up? And you guys passing one of those handhelds? If you would like to ask a question of the team, um, please uh, make it a short question, and um, we will see who can answer it. All right. Anybody? Just stand up or raise your hand if you want to ask a question. How did you get there? We, we traveled in a plane. Oh, my God. That's a lot. For a very, very long time. So you were, what day did you leave? Um... We left on Thursday, the 10th of August, and returned Saturday night, the 26th. Oh, I was worried. Okay. Yeah. But you yeah. came to that. Oh, because back soon. Okay. Thank you, Jessica. You're welcome. Uh, Ruth? Or no? What types, of, what types of food did you have to eat? Did you eat their natural food? The man with the mic is the food. This guy can eat anything. Well, uh, luckily, since... 
Americans that go right over to Africa, we really can't eat their uh, food on the economy straight off the bat. Our bodies just aren't used to that. So uh, TTI had a great group of uh, cooks mm -hmm. either that were uh, there at the uh, compound where we spent the day or uh, we stayed at a uh, kind of a hostel hotel that they kind of cater to Westerners so that we, you know, we had food that wouldn't make us sick. So, uh, but it, it, but it, it was amazing food at, at the hotel, everything from uh, pizza to pasta to um, chicken, uh, beef. And then when we would eat there at the compound where we worked during the day, uh, it was, it was uh, a lot of local food, but it was cooked very, very strictly so that, you know, uh, because our bodies just weren't used to things. But uh, we ate uh, pasta, uh, chicken, uh, beef. Um, oh, yeah, or, or, or what not considered American beef standards, but yeah, yeah beef and uh, goat. So and, we had goat and goat. lamb. Goat, yeah. and I mean, and actually, the, the ladies that cooked for TTI were, uh, were amazing cooks, and actually, some of their food was better than the, than the food we got at the, at, at the hotel. Keep going. If you got a question, we're going to right here behind you. And then we've got some down there as well. What exactly did you guys teach? What did we teach? Oh, Mr. Schaefer is going to answer that. So we taught two courses. One was an Old Testament survey. So it kind of took them from the, the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis, and went all the way to, uh, to Malachi and did a little uh, overview of each book so they understood what each book meant. And then Pastor James and I um, delved more deeply into the book of Genesis. And so we taught the book of Genesis from the beginning to the last chapter and went over in detail on the important parts um, of the historical record of the book of Genesis and the impact theologically um, to what we believe. And for many of them, uh, it was the first time they had heard some of the things that we taught. I already mentioned um, the concept of the serpent sleeping with Eve. That was a common concept. We dispelled that very quickly, and, uh, but we, uh, we helped them understand uh, the book of Genesis, and it was very rewarding in that regard. Yeah, my question would be, did you encounter any opposition from, like, Muslims or cults or, you know, uh, people that wanted to destroy what you were doing? No, we didn't, uh, and praise the Lord for that. Um, Tanzania is an open country, and so it is not a, it's not against the law to share the gospel, to evangelize, and things like that, which is one of the reasons strategically that TTI has selected that country as uh, a base for the mission work that they're doing of training pastors, because it's an open society, and it's a very stable country, and by African standards, it's got a good government, it's well run, um, and they, they're really trying to build infrastructure. So there was a big highway project that was taking place while we were there. Um, and it makes it an ideal hub to bring pastors to. And um, they're kind of the Switzerland of Africa is how one of the guys described it. They've got good relationships with all the neighboring countries. Even if those countries don't get along with each other, they get along with Tanzania. So for people to cross the border, it's very uh, doable. Did, did you guys encounter the prosperity theology we have always heard about and that sort of thing? Were you able to deal with some of that? 
Uh, prosperity theology is huge there. Um, in fact, it's kind of portrayed that one of the better jobs you can get as a Christian pastor is to start a church and start basically taking in money from people that want to pay things. So we were very clear, and TTI and TT Mission of Africa is very clear that our, um, our, our goal, our role as pastors is not to make money, it's to preach the gospel. And so they make it very clear that the prosperity gospel is not of God. It is not a gospel message. Um, and so the pastors that were there heard that loud and clear. But the prosperity gospel is very strong in Africa, and people really uh, take advantage of that. There are things that are sold, everything from pieces of wood to water to oils uh, to all kinds of stuff that is supposed to bring you blessing and bring you luck. And so there's a whole... Um, underground market of selling these trinkets uh, under the guise of Christianity to try and make money for the people selling it and to give false hope uh, and false belief to the people that are suckered into buying it. And so part of the mission there was to dispel a lot of these false teachings and false prophets and, uh, and to make sure the gospel message was heard loud and clear, the true gospel. There's someone else over there. Anybody up on the up in the cheap seats? Oh, there we go. How many people were you able to see in the clinic? Here's the bookkeeper right here. <laughs> I, I counted it up. Um, 195 total in uh, seven days, which we could not have done if we had not had the our African doctor, Dr. Frank. Good question. Tyler, I see you, brother. So I'm going to repeat that for our live stream. The question is, how can we encourage our church to continue to pray and support TTI and TTMA? Is that right? Well, since the mic was handed to me, I guess I'll take this question. Um, you know, what a joy to see these people, like I had said, who have nothing, who have no health care, who monetarily literally make about 4 to $8 a month, uh, U.S. standards, but yet the joy that they have. Uh, we got a chance to go out, uh, myself and a few other people, with them doing evangelism in, in the village. Um, and these are pastors from, I think, there was 11 different countries. Uh, the, the pastors, they, they traveled for days just to come get teaching from, you know, the, the TTI staff and just their joy. Uh, I can pretty much guarantee if you looked at one of the pictures, there was some thin mattresses on hard ground. That's where they slept. No heat, and it dropped down into the high 40s, low 50s at night. Uh, and these, I mean, we had reports that people were shivering at night, but yet they came there because they loved the Lord. They, they you know, the, the gospel meant that much to them and sound teaching meant that much to them that they were willing to travel days on public transportation on buses and if you've ever seen these buses sometimes people are hanging out the windows and on the sides of these buses so this is the love and the joy that these people have for the gospel and for and and, and for god and they're willing to to endure these things so i would say that keep praying for strength for safety and that, that they would just they would continue to have, I mean, it was amazing to see them worship together, uh, sing and dance. They dance for everything. 
They dance when they're happy. They dance when they're sad. They dance at a funeral. They dance just to dance. Um, but just to see that joy and it not only come out physically in them, but, you know, just how just uh, sweet and just gentle that these people are and their just love for the gospel and their love for their fellow man. So I would say continue just to pray that TTI continues to teach all around the world, but especially in Tanzania. And for everyone that uh, uh, came to that uh, conference and that they would just take that, what they, were, what they learned, what they were taught, and then they would multiply in every one of their villages, their countries, their provinces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. yeah, I just had a question about the weather uh, there. Is it um, about the same as the, the United States of America, or it's about the same? Uh, this time of year, it's their winter, and so it was the best weather you could ever go on a trip. It was upper 70s, mid-80s for highs, and as Brett said, uh, upper 40s, lower 50s for low. So very little humidity. Uh, never saw a cloud that produced any rain the whole time we were there. In fact, they won't get rain for months. And so it, it is the country that has, if you watch the Discovery Channel, it's got Mount Kilimanjaro. It's got the Serengeti, the big wildebeest migrations. We were, the day we were leaving the airport to come back, it was live TV there. They had a camera. Uh, the wildebeest were, like, piling up at the big river. You know, it's like, oh, wow, this is, <laughs> this is where we're at. Uh, this isn't, you know, listening to somebody give a narration. This is real time. So Ruth wanted to say something more about ways to pray and support. Yeah, um, I noticed that part of our harvest offering is going to Teaching Truth Mission of Africa, and I want to put a plug in for that because while we were there, I also played public health nurse. Um, There was very little water. They get their water piped in from the airport, but there's not often a lot uh, or enough, and so there was no water. Uh, So we... um, got baby wipes to use for showering and uh, hand sanitizer to use at the hand washing buckets uh, so that water could go for more crucial things uh, to help with that. Uh, So I know Ben and Jamin came away from this trip just very burdened. Uh, They need to dig a well uh, so that they don't have that issue. Um, And they also need to finish their compound Um, They only have on the compound what's done is the training hall and the dining hall. But they need to build dorms so that the guys don't have to sleep in tents like they did. Um, And everybody, by the time conference was over, everybody was coughing. uh, Because, like um, Brett said, it got down into the 40s at night. And most uh, African people are not used to 40-degree temps. Tanzania is different in that uh, regard. So I know that Ben and Jamin came away very burdened to be able to finish up so, because they have these things yearly. Um, and speaking as a nurse, um, they need to, for the health of everyone, have that well and have those uh, dorms built. So um, I just want to encourage all of us to uh, help in that endeavor so that things can be better that way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I uh, wasn't sure if there was anybody else. Uh, oh, yes. One of Jason's children. Is, like, the structure good? Like, the buildings? Actually, the buildings that they have built, by even Western standards, were fantastic. Um, Really well-built, modern conveniences. 
you might see now this was the church that we were in the village so those bricks are actually clay and mud that were baked in the sun and they build with them and so that's a different level uh, standard than what TTI is these are modern buildings right there on the left is the kitchen dining area with a big covered porch and then on the right side is the lecture hall that you'll see pictures inside with all the uh, chairs and it's it's actually um, do you guys remember who it was some Tanzanian dignitary like uh, the 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 parliament wants to use that building to roll out a policy and plans of building and expansion in that area and so they're going to actually use this room as a gathering meeting for that community because it's so well laid out and so modern and in the city even though it's several hundred thousand in that city uh, this is really on an upper echelon of building good question young man all right we are going to put a pin in it if you got questions now you have faces and names um, want to say again how much we appreciate your support and your prayers in keeping us um, in the forefront of your minds while we were gone for those two weeks. A lot of sacrifices went into it, shared by all of us, and we really um, serve a great God.